Hello, everyone. Welcome to Teaching Matters. This podcast is produced and recorded in the studios of WOUB Public Media in Athens, Ohio. I'm your host, Scott Titsworth, Dean of the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. When I was a, a younger faculty member, one of the topics of research that, that I engaged in and still do to some extent is how to engage students when they're in a classroom environment. We know from literature going back to the 1970s that nearly 75% of a student's time, particularly during their freshman and sophomore years in college, is really devoted to sitting in a classroom and listening to lectures. And of course, when COVID hit, that didn't really change. The modality may have changed where more of that was being done remotely, uh, but but still that, that fundamental percentage of time devoted to lecture listening did not change. And of course, as a teacher that taught a large 400-person class, one of the questions I always had was how are we able to keep students engaged when they're in what is inherently an unengaging environment? My guest today is Louise Krampotic. She's the Vice President for Enterprise Services for Digital Ed and also an expert in use cases of instructional technology and STEM-related subjects, uh, and she um, has as a passion for things that she works on, uh, that being how to keep students engaged. Louise, thank you for being on the program today. Well, thank you for having me. So I want to start uh, more generally and having you talk about your knowledge about STEM fields, because I teach in the humanities and communication, and I know that that we have certain challenges, but I know from my colleagues uh, at Ohio University and other places that STEM courses are even more challenging in some ways for helping to keep students engaged. What, what is your understanding or your um, you know thoughts about the challenges that are unique to STEM learning experiences in terms of student engagement? That, that's a great question, uh, Scott. The With STEM, one of the most important things is for students to actually do it. You, you know, earlier you talked a little bit about students sitting in a lecture, and absolutely, that's what students are, you know, are used to. Historically, that's what we've done. Mm-hmm. The students are sitting there, they're watching an instructor having, you know, talking about a particular subject, but they're not doing anything. In STEM particularly, it's super important for students to actually get into the subject. So for example, in math, it's it, students have to get in and work through problems in order to understand what's happening with those problems and what's happening with the mathematics. Do you think that in some way, I mean, so it's so fascinating with STEM because literally almost everything that you learn in STEM has direct application to individuals' lives. They just don't often recognize those connections. Do you think that the learn by doing imperative is to help students visualize and come to be able to understand the connections between STEM-related concepts, whether it's math, science, or, or engineering or whatever, to things they experience every day? So I think the learn by doing is trying to get them to actually work on something, right? Mm-hmm. To, rather than just try being a, a participant and listening to actually get them involved. But one of the things that you're talking about there is more on the side of authentic assessment. Mm-hmm. So often in mathematics courses, students are just taught to do a specific thing. Here, Here is something you need to learn, some steps you need to memorize. So you know, solving an equation or factoring. And so students are learning these individual little pieces, but they don't have the mathematical maturity to yet understand how do those pieces go together to solve a bigger problem? Or how do those pieces, how could they be used 
to be to solve a problem in a different discipline. And I think that that's where we really need to work to help to get students more engaged is by showing them some of these examples of problems from other disciplines or that are really authentic, a real world problem that they need to solve. And this is the mathematics that they need to use to solve it. Mm -hmm. When a student is uh, going through the process of learning uh, something like mathematics, to what extent do you believe that 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 the learn by doing is something that helps them better understand and evaluate their own learning. So I'm thinking about metacognition, for example, is the learn by doing more effective at helping students have metacognitive awareness of their learning as opposed to other forms of, of learning experiences? Yeah, I think that the two things that I would say there, the learn by doing is important because students are then actually actively doing something with their learning mm -hmm. uh, rather than just listening. But also the ability of getting students to work together to talk about the mathematics or talk about what they're learning is important as well. And, um, you know, using technology that allows you to have algorithmic questions. So questions where that vary from student to student so that students start to have the con the conversation of not what was your answer to question number three, but how did you get your answer? And that's an entirely right, right. different conversation that the students then have. Mm -hmm. So before we get into some of the case studies of projects that you've been involved with, um, I mentioned in the in the introduction that that obviously there's there's been a lot of changes because of of COVID where more of the learning has has transitioned, um, you know, to remote learning during the the worst part of COVID. But some of that is going to remain. You know, I think we all suspect even coming out of the worst part of COVID. How do you think that a remote learning environment impacts some of the issues that you've just been talking about? The the nice thing with putting things online and making things available to students online is, um, and using technology to, to help with this, is that you have the ability to offer practice opportunities for students that they can go and do at their time, right? So they, mm -hmm. when they're studying, they can then pick up a, a question, they can work on a question, test themselves and see if they're if they've understood that particular concept and having that available online whenever the student is ready to absorb that material helps them in their in their learning process so let's transition and talk about some of the case studies for 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 a few moments so when you know when i was a student which admittedly was decades ago um my learn by doing was exactly as you described earlier where i had a worksheet i did the worksheet and then i compared my answer with the person sitting next to me how is how is the the state of pedagogy um and especially engaged pedagogy you know elevated um, you know, from the experiences that I had? I mean, what are some of the types of things that you think are effective practices that should be integrated into a robust strategy that is learner-centered um, and, you know, in the using the technology that we have now and the knowledge that we have now on how to engage students? Yeah, there's definitely a couple of things. Um, the first, like I mentioned earlier, is authentic assessment, being able to ask students you know, a real world problem and have them work on a real world problem. One of the, the schools that we work with, the other thing that they've done is they've incorporated like an escape room into their classroom. So 
they the technology allows them to ask these students sort of more in-depth, more complex type questions, and they work in groups to discuss, okay, well, how do I solve that? Like, what does, what does that do? So instead of it being just solve an equation, it's actually a problem that to get to the solution, you solve an equation, but you have to understand that problem first. And so having the students communicate in mathematics or in, uh, in whatever STEM discipline they're working in, but having them communicate and work together to get to a common understanding and then to, to see that they've made this, they've got to the solution and now they can move on. It just gives them another path of, of learning and, you know, gets them more involved in the process. And another school that we have, uh, what they have done with technology is they ask the students their questions, say on an exam, but then they give the students a, a text region to say, now, answer you know explain how you got there explain mm -hmm. your thinking or write your steps down give us something that tells us how did you get to your to your solution and the instructors have found by doing that they're able to catch students misconceptions much earlier so instead of it waiting to the end of the term and a student who had a misconception early on in the course you know, not doing well on, say, a final exam, by asking them these questions early on, the instructors are able to say, now, wait a minute. Hey, you, I see you explained it this way. Have you thought mm -hmm. about something else? Or, you know, here's another way of thinking about it to help students. A few moments ago, you, you talked about um, having students work in teams and communicating about the problem-solving process. Can you give a more specific example of a type of dialogue that if you were teaching a course, you would hope to see students engaging in, whether it's related to a specific problem that they're solving or even in general terms about the process you would like to see them go through? Yeah, so I think that the first thing, you know, is that when they have a problem, when students start to work in a group, it's it's important for them to first talk about that problem. What are the things that they know? What are the things that they don't know? What are they trying to get uh, get to? And what are the pieces of information that they know already that will help them to get uh, to get there? And by working in groups, you know, you have students who maybe struggle a little bit. You have students who understand the the steps that they go through. And then you have some students who are able to make that leap immediately to here's the solution. And so by talking to each other, they're helping to fill in the gaps for each other. And they're then getting to the to the end result. So uh, thinking about the example of the escape room, what what's an example of the problem that's, I mean, obviously, they're trying to escape from a room that they're locked into, but how, how does the problem manifest itself in that type of a scenario that students are trying to solve? Yeah, so the the escape room when it when it first uh, was released was actually during COVID. Um, and the the university, like most places, right, everybody was remote. And they were seeing in a first year calculus course, students weren't making the connections with each other. So they were trying to help them make connections with other students. Mm -hmm. And so what the, uh, what they did with the escape room was they actually had the escape room. They had pictures of different places on campus. And as the student was working through, they were trying to get to a specific room because they had to do a lab or, you know, they, 
uh, needed to get to a lecture. But in order to get there, they had to go through other places on campus and then they had to solve problems. So for example, it was, uh, you know, one of the problems was taking derivatives and, um, and integrals and having a function and understanding what does a graph of a function look like compared to the graph of its derivative or the graph of its integral. And then putting item matching items that, okay, this function, here's the derivative for this function, and that gives me a letter C. And mm-hmm. then having to put, you know, things in order in order to, to get a key that would then open a door. Mm-hmm. And so it was just, it was a different way of looking at it, that they were trying to get the students to work together, but also give them that feeling of, you know, here's what the campus looks like, even though you can't be there in person. Right, right. Um, So it sounds to me like uh, that example, and I'm sure others, is making much greater use of educational technology. How How has changes in educational technology helped facilitate you know, sort of new directions and how you would create these types of engaged learning experiences. Yeah, technology has has come a long way, right? We have the ability now, as I mentioned earlier, to create problems that are algorithmic so that different students get different variations and they Mm -hmm. talk about the the answers. That technology allows students these practice opportunities. So if it is a skill that they need to learn, they can try it again and again until they feel confident. And not only that, but you can actually, they can get immediate feedback mm-hmm. on what they've done. And so there, students are working on a problem. They can immediately see what did they get right or what did they get wrong. Um, some students, you know, in some, in some courses, they put in an assignment. They don't get that assignment back. If it's a written assignment, they don't get it back for two weeks, in some cases a month. Um, by that time, the course has so far progressed that the student will look at it and basically just puts it away because they don't remember all of those questions or maybe where they struggled. Mm-hmm. And But getting them that immediate feedback, which is possible with technology, gives them that sense of, okay, I didn't understand this. So now I should go and talk to the prof about this particular case. Right. So turning, turning to the teachers, I mean, I know that, um, you know, I, I thought I did engaged learning in the large class that I taught. I'm sure that a lot of the STEM teachers that you work with, um, assume the same things. How do you help faculty understand that, what we believe to be engaged learning actually has several levels that we're likely not going to reach just with our own, you know, initiatives. I mean, that seems to be an important conversation to get faculty buy-in for maybe doing some changes in the way that they present material. And I, yes, I agree. The, I think, you know, again, a couple of things here, I, faculty, you know, you get, you, deliver a lecture and you think this was the best lecture ever all the students understood everything I talked about here and then you see on a you know maybe on the homework or you've asked them some questions and all of a sudden you see well they didn't understand mm-hmm. and having um, technology incorporated into your classroom allows you to get feed you to get feedback as well so it's not just the feedback to the students but there's you know, this whole array of data that is available that allows you to analyze, okay, so what pieces of my course did the students kind of go through very quickly and they seem to understand? And what ones did they go back to? 
mm-hmm. multiple times. And so then as an educator, you can look at those specific areas and improve those uh, and, and really sort of look at them from a, from a lens of, okay, well, if I were a student that I didn't understand this concept, was, is there a reason that they're struggling with this particular right. area? When authentic assessment is used that provides richer information from the student, so it goes beyond looking to see whether they selected the correct answer or C on a Scantron uh, and become something much more robust than that, how does that change the way that in, in, in an ideal situation that a, a teacher is giving feedback in response to the student? I mean, it goes beyond just saying you got that question wrong, but it goes it goes to a dialogue, I would assume, between the teacher and the student about, you know, mis, misperceptions that the students have about certain processes, et cetera. How, how do you think that works effectively? Yeah, the, the one school that I was talking about earlier where they, they did that in some of their exam settings the, and they asked the student to explain their thinking, Mm-hmm. then the instructor would have a conversation with the student and sort of say, okay, so for this question, you know, if the student was, you know, they got the wrong answer, but their, their thinking was right, they could have mm-hmm. that conversation with the student to under to then understand, okay, was it just, you know, they made an, uh, a small error at the beginning of the question and it just carried through, or is there a deeper issue here that we can talk about and, and work on? Uh, but it really gives the the instructors insight into the knowledge of the students and the understanding of the students. Yeah, it's interesting because I think about, you know, some of my own work um, in my own classes, but also with faculty in, in my college. We're big proponents of ha- helping students develop a narrative about what they're learning. And, and it sounds like what you're describing is a chance for the teacher to understand what the story is the student is constructing and then to help shift that narrative as necessary for the student to go in a path that is, you know, more consistent with what the learning outcomes are. Absolutely. The um, And the other thing that technology allows you to do, you know, the whole, you know, two, two sort of key te- learning technologies or um, learning ideas, right? That spacing effect so mm-hmm. that the student is doing something, then maybe learns something else and then goes back and, and, relearns something or has to remember something that spacing effect allows for greater retention and you can easily do that in a with the technology that's out there and not only that but uh, the other one that I often refer to is the desirable difficulties right so ask the student a question that maybe they're not going to know the whole answer mm-hmm. and where they have to work at it because if a student has to work at something they're more likely to retain it Mm-hmm. Um, and they're more likely to then ask questions to understand where they are in their learning path. Mm-hmm. What What is your thought? What are your thoughts on how this type of uh, pedagogical approach works with different levels of students? So I'm thinking about you know the the comparison and contrasting of the effects of this for the freshman student who is taking a math class because of a general education requirement versus a more experienced student who is majoring in a, you know, a hardcore STEM field, they will experience this differently. What, what are your, what are your, um, you know, opinions and thoughts on how this type of pedagogical approach serves the needs of both types of students? Yeah, I think the, the key thing is to meet students where they are and help mm-hmm. them get where they want to be. 
So for that freshman student who is, you know, everything is so new and so different, um, making sure that they have opportunities to try something to be successful, to then build their confidence, to keep them engaged. Uh, for the student who is, you know, partway through their degree where they're more comfortable with the situation, you can start to ask them those more complex problems that they have to work at a bit because you know they've gone through that beginning of mm-hmm. understanding where things are and now they can they can feel that they can a- achieve that end result of that problem. So for more advanced um STEM courses. So I'm thinking about, you know, colleges of engineering where they have accreditation standards and that sort of thing. How does this type of teaching strategy and learning strategy fit with them being able to demonstrate, uh, you know, to accreditors that students are achieving the outcomes that is required of, of students in those majors? A lot of the data that you can get out of technology systems allows you to see exactly what students are doing on different types of problems, on different types of, uh, of topics. Mm-hmm. And having that analysis really will back up sort of where the students are. So having, having all of the data available now, like we have so much data available that you have a better sense of, okay, the student got this mark. And here is why, right? You can look at how much time did the students spend in the system? How much time did they spend doing questions, answering questions, working on problems? Or how much time did they spend watching videos? Mm-hmm. And so you have this path that the student went through. And then you have that end result of their final score that you have the ability to, to look back and see, did one? how did one impact the other? If, if a department or even an individual faculty member was wanting to start to integrate using technology, this type of, of learning um, approach, what are, the, what are the important steps that the faculty member or the faculty would need to go through to do this effectively? I, the, I think the first thing is the design of your course. Um, when COVID first hit and people move, were moving online, a lot of times it was just this dump of material into an online setting. And uh, now that we're sort of post that initial rush, people have that chance to look at the course that they're developing and really design it appropriately. What are the learning objectives that you want to get out of this course that you want the students to get out of it? And how do you best provide the material for them to achieve those goals. Mm-hmm. And so you have the the technology that allows you to post what the, the different things that you want, the different materials that you want, questions that you want to ask the students. But the design is super important and keeping in mind always, where are you trying to get the student at the end? Mm-hmm. How do you keep the... Um... Uh, you know, maybe this is probably you, somewhat unique to to my courses, where we feel like the relationship between the faculty member and the student is part of, you know, an essential aspect of the equation of of them learning and retaining information. When you're doing an approach like this in a STEM class, how do you maintain sort of the the relevance of the student and faculty member's relationship, particularly if you're talking about an asynchronous learning experience? The, the faculty is 
you know, um, is still as important, if not more important, when you're thinking about asynchronous learning uh, and having material available online. When you're putting material available online, what a lot of instructors have started to do is almost, you know, flip the classroom a little bit where they're, mm-hmm. they're expecting the students who have read material and then their in-time class with their students is much richer because they're now having a discussion about mm-hmm what they've what they've learned or what they should have learned or what problems that they they need to be able to to solve and so now it becomes a richer conversation with the student rather than just standing at the front lecturing yeah i yeah i agree i think that the way that we use class time should never be like it was 15 years ago, which was mostly lecture, (laughs) you know, I think that would be a disservice. So looking forward, I mean, your, you know, your expertise and background in educational technology, you have a a, a very broad environmental understanding of sort of where the state of technology is at right now. What, what do you believe to be the most important educational technology trends that will start impacting our classrooms and our students, you know, going into the next 10 years? Yeah, I think the the breadth of data that we have available now um, that we're able to to capture and then having ways to analyze that to then improve the the learning, whether Mm -hmm. that's through sort of individualized learning paths for students Mm -hmm. or whether it's really more on the on the educator to look at those those results and then, you know, make changes to to their particular courses to just improve that learning for students. Yeah, I mean, we've we've already had a couple of guests this season talking about the issue of, of uh, you know, data analytics. Um, it, what I hear you saying a couple places is that even how that would, how such data would flow into algorithms, which might start to lean more into sort of machine learning and artificial intelligence in terms of students experiencing material, it seems like that's a natural evolution. Would you agree? Definitely. I think one of the the key points would be to analyze that data to then say, okay, so where is the student weak? Where do they need some additional help? And Mm -hmm. be able to immediately provide it at the time that they that they need it. Um, Or at the time when, okay, if they don't get this concept, they're going to struggle later on. So let's provide them with that that material. Yeah. So one of the, so when we made our transition to COVID and, you know, like every, every university and every school had to do that just out of the blue. Um, of course we, we made heavy use of our LMS at Ohio university and, um, and some other systems like teams and things like that to facilitate remote, um, uh, teaching and learning. One of the complaints that we got from students is that all of a sudden, you know, what went from being one system that they had to be adept in or LMS all of a sudden became three or four systems. And and so there was a complaint that there was, you know, just some entropy going on where they, they had too much information and too many different things to do. As someone with expertise in ed tech, how do, how do we, how do you think we need to think about the user experience of students so that the technology interface that they have doesn't become overwhelming, even for simple tasks. Yeah, we're having a lot of of instructors and a lot of institutions that are now sort of taking that step back, right? When when COVID hit, people were adopting everything to to try to to make the experience available for students. Mm -hmm. And now institutions are sort of taking that step back and, and exactly like you said, saying, okay, 
What do we need to provide to our students? What should our learning ecosystem look like? What are the key elements that we need to, to work with? And not only that, but how do we make them play together mm-hmm. so that students have sort of that that one place they go to? And then, yes, maybe there's other technology that is being used, but it's not interfering with their learning process. It's it's just a natural piece of the of the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Have uh, I, I know that your expertise has been, uh, at least as I understand it, has been mostly working with STEM education. Have you also used your approaches in other types of disciplines, or have you been mostly exclusively with STEM? I have been exclusively with STEM. That's that's my background is in math and education, so mm-hmm. that's really where I have focused. Yeah. I mean, I, it's interesting to hear you talk about it because, of course, the applications of what you're doing um, is just good teaching. And so I can't imagine that other fields wouldn't also benefit from this type of, uh, you know, this type of an approach. I guess the, the last question um, that I want to ask is, is focusing in on, on STEM education specifically. So one of the challenges that I perceive in my own field, which, you know, in the field of communication, we're impacted by the, the trend towards digital technology and everything that we do now. Um, and it, so, so even, even people that practice, that are practicing journalism and I mean, it's all online now, right? So, so the digital transformation of our field is quite significant. I have trouble figuring out from a, a, a teaching standpoint and also an administrative standpoint, how we keep our curriculum up to date uh, with where the field is at because it changes so quickly now. Same thing would be true in STEM fields where the applications of technology, I mean, the underlying algorithms haven't changed, but the applications of those um, are changing quite significantly. When you invest a lot of time and effort into creating the technology solutions that that you would help a, a university or a school create, how do you keep that up to date in a way that's sustainable? In other words, you know, if I if I spend money to create a new way of teaching my freshman um, college algebra class uh, to make it problem based, how do I keep that relevant without having to reinvest over and over again uh, to keep up with the time, so to speak? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, right? And I think if I think back even to to my undergraduate days. The, the teachers that were really good teachers that won the teaching awards that mm-hmm. all the students wanted to get into the class, those were the teachers that didn't just pull a, a session out from their filing cabinet and teach the same thing every time. Mm-hmm. They were the ones that, you know, each time they, they added a few new questions, they made a couple of updates to the material. And I think that that with technology that almost becomes easier because now you have all this material and you can just swap things mm-hmm. um, and individual pieces so that your course is an evolving course rather mm-hmm. than here's my one static course and this is what I'm going to teach for 10 years. You have that ability now to to make minor modifications to continually improve. Yeah, very good. Um, last question, I promise, um, is, you know, you've worked with a lot of different applications um, to, you know, a, a different different universities and, and, and faculty. Is there one case study that you, you think back on and say, I'm really proud of this one because of the difference that we made for the students? Is there is there one that comes to mind? 
Um, that that's that's a hard question. Um, I think like the escape rooms was probably one of one of the ones that I like because it it was using technology but in a very different approach. Mm-hmm. And and so it was just that that ingenuity of the instructors to come up with an idea of how do we engage the students more, allow them to meet other students, and then but still get them working on the math that they need to learn. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Louise, I really appreciate your time and uh, and all of what you're doing and trying to help faculty and, and teachers and students um, with um, is exactly what I said before, is just great teaching. So I applaud your work and, and wish you the very best. Thank you, Scott. This was a great conversation. Absolutely. My guest today was Louise Krampotic. She's the Vice President for Enterprise uh, Services for Digital Ed and obviously also an expert in and STEM teaching, especially in trying to make it engaging for students. Our audio engineer today was Adam Rich. He's also the associate producer. I'm Scott Titsworth, uh, your host. We hope that you tune back into Teaching Matters if you have an idea or um, just want to reach out and talk to us about topics related to teaching and learning. Feel free to search for us on Facebook and send us a message or an email, and we would be happy to have a conversation with you. Thank you for listening and have a great day.